Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy with a two-run walk-off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Bounce towards first and through a base hit right field. He's going to take a turnaround first and try for second. Here comes the throw by Gretchik. He is safe at second base. A hustle double for Kiermaier. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show. Today, we sit down with Charlie Morton and discuss a unique season for the veteran and the Rays. Doug Wechter will join us to discuss Tampa Bay making the postseason again. We'll chat with Kevin Padlow about his first experience on the taxi squad. Lenore Sutton discusses her work with players throughout the race system. Plus, John Paul Morosi of MLB Network stops by with a look at potential playoff matchups. Well, we continue on this week in race baseball, and we have the pleasure of joining us of uh, the veteran of the Rays roster, that being... Uh, Charlie Morton. And Charlie, the first thing I wanted to touch on, you had said recently how proud you were of this group. And I'm curious if you're prouder of the way they've kind of handled everything that's been thrown their way, or maybe on the field, the way they've handled all the injuries they've had to deal with. Yeah, I think it's more all-encompassing. I think it has to do with the quality of the guys in the room, both on and off the field. I Just from day one, um, when we showed up for the mini camp, guys, adhering to the, the COVID protocols. And I mean, and early on, you know, it got a little messy, even, even in the camp. Um, it was just a weird time and we didn't start off very well. But I think the, the one constant that's been occurring during the season has been the guys demonstrating that they really care about each other. I mean, we have guys that are, that come to the field and, you know, they take care of their business. They take care of and abide by the protocols. It's a really it's a really weird time in sports because of the the change in the atmosphere. There's a change in the environment um, that's pretty substantial, and the guys have still gotten up for each game and been pulling for each other. And I think being proud of my teammates has a lot to do with just the, the way they've conducted themselves the entire time. And I would guess the way they handled themselves in New York and the way the whole group did also fits into that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess it, it kind of starts with both sides. There's there's staff and there's players, right? And there are times when 
you have issues that occur on or off the field, and those two sides butt heads. I, when we were in New York, I didn't see that. I saw a group of people that were just trying to move forward together and do the right thing. It was awesome to see that. And then to go out and win the way we did that night, that was really rewarding. So, yeah, I think that just adds on to the narrative of the group that's in that clubhouse. How much do you think of last year's experience leads this group to handle themselves as well as they do? I'm not sure if it has as much to do with experience as it does with how the Rays target players and target people that they want to employ. That's non-uniform staff as well. There's a, um, a premium put on people and on the human side with the Rays. And I wouldn't say that I've never seen that before, but I do think that the Rays to that degree might be unique in that sense, at least from organizations I've been a part of. And I'm not trying to belittle other organizations. It just seems like the Rays really, really care a lot about the people that they bring into the organization to a degree that it stands out. But I mean, to answer the question, I would say that it has to do more with how the Rays have built the organization top to bottom. Playing together, going through some things together, some challenges together, I certainly think that helps to add to the character and the the depth of the relationships that are in the clubhouse and also with the guys that are at the top. The fact that I can call or text Eric Deander any time of day and he'll give me his time, just as much time as anybody else, a guy that legitimately cares about his guys and the, and the people that operate under him. And that, that carries over. I mean, that, that carries over all the way to our coaching staff. And then that carries over to the guys. And then in that, I mean, we're a tight group, not just uniform personnel, but non-uniform clubhouse staff, even over to the visiting side clubhouse staff. I mean, I feel like we have a very high quality character group of people that work in the stadium. And since you touched Charlie on the human side and we're chatting with Charlie Morton, how has this whole experience been for you and your wife, Cindy, and your four kids? Well, I got to spend a lot of time with my family during the, during the quote unquote quarantine period leading up to the mini camp. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. The downside to not being able to go out, really leave the house much was on my end, I wasn't able to do everything that I would normally do in an off season, a period, a period of three months substantial amount of time to not be at a gym or on a ball field. So, but fortunately we had some stuff at the house. My wife was awesome about it. And she, she even got it into the gym with me and just, you know, trying to keep the kids squared away and on some kind of routine while our two eldest were unable to go to school, not unlike anything that everybody else is going through, but I guess the requirements of our job lean towards being in better shape and I think having just a better foundation going into our job doing our jobs we're making do you know we're making do and and unfortunately I think that's led to some injuries here some substantial injuries you know guys getting put on the table getting cut on so that's something that I think the guys knew going into it but you know it still doesn't make it any or any easier to deal with but like our kids are going to go back to school I most likely won't be able to see them going forward here in the next, you know, in the next week. And I'll, 
I'll see them again when um, the postseason is over. And I mean, that part is tough because I think partly because we've gotten to spend so much time together. Yeah, definitely. On a physical level, do you feel like you're in a, a good position or a better position now going into the postseason than, let's say, when summer camp started? How do you feel about where you are now? Yeah, I feel better. It, it's been pretty up and down because I feel like there have been a couple issues where I feel like a couple of the issues can be attributed to just the lead up, the build up to this whole thing. Not really being sound in my delivery, not really being in a great spot in terms of my timing or, I mean, you name it, like an adjustment even to the environment. So I think some of those things have been have been a challenge. And then I when I strained my delt, that gave me an opportunity to kind of revisit some things, my delivery, get in the gym, get in the training room, kind of work on my shoulder and, and just tap the brakes for a minute, which I certainly think that I, I could benefit from in a lot of ways. So right now, I think you're building up in the next over the next couple starts trying to really dial it into exactly what I'm trying to do you know not just it's hard because the, the challenge is that a couple of days I threw a couple of bullpens but that period took a little bit longer than I had anticipated I don't know I mean I feel like it's in a lot of ways it might have been a good thing and right now I do feel good I just feel like I'm trying to get my legs under me I'm trying to get my delivery uh, timed up and I'm also trying to build up my arm again certainly I would I would assume that over the next couple starts, I'll be in a really good spot. I definitely feel like I'm in a better spot now than I was a month ago. How do you feel about the, the spot the team is in and the unique format of the playoffs this year? I'm not sure how I feel about the format of the playoffs because on one hand, usually the feel of the playoffs is that you just grinded through 162 games. And it's basically weeding out the teams that just couldn't get it done over that span of time because the a lot of, te- I mean, a lot of teams will come out and they'll go, they'll win like 15 games out of their first 20 games, right? But then by August, they have a losing record. And it's because the length of the season really tests the grit of the team. It tests the depth of the team in a way that a 60-game season doesn't. Sample size is so much smaller, right? I would think that a 60-game season would allow the majority of the teams that are participating in the postseason to be teams that would be there anyway. That's what the the chances would be. I think that the teams that should be there, most of them will be. It's going, though, to allow for teams like, say, the Yankees, to, who are – the, the Yankees are a very good team. And the Yankees – it doesn't look like the Yankees are going to have enough time to get their way back up to a top seed. So you might have a situation, and we, for all I know, we might wind up playing the Yankees, where you have a team that's certainly built for – the, you know, a top three seed winding up playing, you know, the top three seed. And you're you're having a team that's eliminated early in the in the postseason that shouldn't even that has no business being eliminated in the postseason that early in the postseason. If we wind up playing the Yankees and their whole lineup is back, everyone's back healthy, you know, and they got, you know, they got three of their starting pitchers that are they're healthy, it's going it's going to be like playing you know, a one or two seed when it should have been, you know, like a team that is just benefiting from the 16 game or 16 team structure. So I think in that way, there, there are some flaws on the flip side of that. the really the only way to give a 60 game season real teeth with a postseason is to make the postseason more challenging. You know, it's to make the postseason the grind, right? It's like, 
it's to make the postseason something that you can look back on and say, well, you know, we only played 60 games the regular season, but any criticism of that 60-game season based on the difficulty and the, you know, the, the typical difficulties presented, that will be nullified by the fact that the structure of the postseason is much more challenging. And that's in, the, you know, in theory. So it's a balance. I think it's really the only way to do it. I think the way that they're doing the bubble, I think it has to be done. Unfortunately, a neutral site bubble gives us the best chance of success and getting through. We're pretty well built to, to mentally move forward with this, you know, just for the betterment of the, the team and the league overall. Charlie, one more that um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. As difficult as this has been, and you will have a decision to make at the end of the year, have you given much thought to next season at all? And if not, when would you kind of try and come to some conclusion for you and your family? I don't know. My, my faith is in the people in this country. And I think that the way that we've handled ourselves this season with, with sports and with, with baseball in, in particular, because I can only speak on that because this is what I've, you know, league that I've been a part of, that we're, we're going to get better at this. Like, it, you know, hopefully the numbers will start to look better. Hopefully there'll be the, the treatment options will improve. Hopefully at some point there will be a vaccine and there'll be a better understanding of what the virus actually is. And I'm hope my hope is that some of the ways that we've had to conduct the league um, will change because I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that's just going to be the natural course of this, but that will impact how I view next season. Like if, if my kids are in school at the beginning of, the, of next year and I'm having to quarantine away from my kids, that's going to impact whether or not I play next year. If I'm going to have to be separate from my family for any substantial amount of time next year, if there's no fans, you know, if the projection is that there'll be no fans at any of the games next year over any long span of time. I mean, a lot of things about the game uh, are going to impact my decision. I, I would like to play. I would like for this to not be my last memory of baseball, you know, in a selfish way. I would like to, to hear the, the crowd again and see you guys in the clubhouse again and, and just some experience some semblance of normalcy again before I just shut it down and walk away. Because I don't want I don't want this to be a main contributor to why I would stop playing. But at the same time, I've had the opportunity to play for a long time, and I'm in I'm in a good spot. So it's going to depend on a lot of factors. I guess it's probably even more complicated than it was before in some ways. Well, no matter what the decision, you know, we hope that we hope that that opportunity exists, um, and we hope to get to see you again. And more than that, we hope for what uh, will be a memorable playoff run. Uh, coming up in the month of October. We appreciate some time, Charlie, on This Week in Race Baseball. Yes, sir. Thank you, Neil. That's Charlie Morton, and we'll continue in just a moment. This is the Race Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and joining us now from Fox Sports Sun is Doug Wechter. Doug, thanks very much for being with us. We're chatting about a playoff team for the second time in as many years, and that hasn't happened very often, only twice in the club's history. Well, how about, I mean, how about the year, first of all, that Kevin Cash and this crew has had uh, huge congratulations to them. Uh, you know, going into the season, everybody was favoring this team, and we expected them to be here. But then you look to see what actually happened, you know, and, and with all the time spent on the IL, with all the injuries that they've had to overcome, 
all the new protocols going into this season, it could have fell apart very easily. And it didn't. And, you know, you go back to the leadership of this team and, and Cash and Snyder and Matola and, you know, Paul Hoover, Quattrero, you could name every single coach on that staff and just congratulate them for how good of a job they did because it's been phenomenal. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. And uh, big congratulations to them to get in this postseason. And the front office, too, for acquiring players, a lot of them are minor league contracts that have contributed a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. Neander and the rest of the crew in the front office, Peter Bendix, um, everybody who is now in new positions as well in 2020, uh, they've come in and, I mean, just knocked it out of the park. You know, you got a lot of guys when we already talked about the injuries that they've had to overcome. Well, you overcome them with depth in the organization. And that's exactly what happened, whether it's, it's new new players coming in that they signed as free agents or it's people that they have brought up through the system, players they brought up through the system. And, uh, you know, it's just another tip of the cap to the way the Rays are doing things. They're reinventing the wheel continuously in a good way in Major League Baseball. And it shows in the depth of the organization. It shows in the top and the front office, uh, ownership all the way through the, uh, the staff on the field. So, yeah, it's a fun team to get behind for sure. No question. So how do you use the last week and change to get ready for the playoffs and how important is winning a division? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, for me, being a former pitcher, my mind always goes to the pitching staff. And what do you do to line up your pitching staff going into that postseason? And you, what you do is essentially you work backwards. Uh, you know when the first game of the postseason is going to be. Everybody's in that wild card game. Now, obviously, you're going to go out there and you still want to continue to win because you want to win this division. You want to seed top four, at least, so you get a home field advantage in the first round. So technically, you don't have to win the division. Uh, you just need to be a top four team. But ideally, you want to take this division. You're in position to do that. So they're going to continue to play and play to win, but they are going to start lining guys up. I think you're going to see, you know, I, I, my guess would be either a glass now or Charlie Morton to be starting, you know, one of the first couple games. So they're going to line up to where they slot in for that in the postseason and, and kind of work backwards off of that. Uh, you might see Kevin Cash start resting certain guys in the bullpen a little bit over the next few days and then ramp it back up toward the end, uh, right when the postseason is about to crank up, because you want them to be fresh. You want them to be, you know, at, at the peak of their ability and really cruising into the playoffs. And then, you know, with certain guys in the lineup, I think you might give a day off here or there now, but others, I think you crank it up. I mean, we've already heard from Cash saying that he wants to play Willie Adamas every single game because he has to get Willie's back going. And we saw it in the second game of the, uh, of the doubleheader against the Orioles where he hit that home run, where you know, Cash could have very easily given him that day off because of his struggles, but he didn't. He trusts Willie and he wants him in there and he was rewarded by playing him. So I think Cash will, you know, sporadically give guys a little bit of rest. But I think overall, you know, these guys are ready to play. And these guys have a shortened season, and they've been focused on the playoffs this entire time. So uh, mentally, they're prepared. And uh, physically, I think they're going to be peaking at the right time. Best of three in the opening round of the playoffs. Obviously, there's a lot of random randomness. How important is playing at Tropicana Field? Maybe not necessarily to Willie Adamas, who hasn't hit there, but to this pitching <laughs> right. staff, the way they've performed there. Well, uh, no doubt this team is based on pitching and defense. I understand that they've scored, you know, second or third most runs in the AL. You know, of course, their offense is going to be important, but the pitching and defense is what this team is built on. And that's where the advantage comes in, I think, playing at Tropicana Field, because you got 
a field that has a little bit of quirkiness to it. Obviously, um, you see outfielders lose the ball in, in the roof at times. You do see the lights play into, into the game a little bit, specifically with outfielders as well. You know, pitchers, they, they're used to and accustomed to the backstop and the backdrop of what the mound looks like. Uh, and they're just comfortable there. The defense is overall very, very comfortable. Um, the dimensions of the wall will come into play. So uh, you do really want to clench to where you can play this first series at home. It is the only home field advantage that you can get uh, in this playoff type bubble that they're going to have. You know, after the first series, obviously, you're going to move to the West Coast. Um, but if you can clinch and you can and start this you know, playoff push at home, I think it's a huge advantage. And if they're fortunate enough to get through the opening round and go as far as they did last year, how well equipped are they for the lack of off days in the playoff format and also the bubble? I, I think that's a really good question to answer now. And I think the reason for that is because we're starting to see Kevin Cash um, start to move guys into situations that he thinks and he feels that he's going to see in the postseason. And case in point, I think uh, Ryan Yarborough and Josh Fleming are now becoming bolt guys in an opening situation. Before, earlier in the year, you know, those guys were starting. They were giving the ball and they were running with it. Uh, I think with no off days going into the ALDS and the ALCS, you know, uh, hopefully they can get that far and even further. But I, I think what we're seeing is Kevin Cash, you know, get these guys comfortable in situations that they're going to possibly be in. Um, it, you know, with no off days, essentially you have a fourth and a fifth starter uh, getting more consideration than you would before. And so now you really do have to go in there with depth of your rotation and depth of the bullpen. And, you know, lucky for the Rays, they've built up both. Now there's some new names in the bullpen that uh, we didn't anticipate having uh, being a big part of this bullpen, you know, going into 2020, but they've done a great job and you continue to give them the ball and, and just hope they can continue to do well. So uh, it goes back to the depth of the rotation of the pitching staff, and that's what the Rays have got. Doug, good stuff. Uh, enjoy uh, the broadcast today and this final week, and uh, we'll see where the, where the playoff road takes Tampa Bay. Absolutely. Let's hope uh, we're celebrating at the end of October. Amen on that. That is Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun. We now turn to Port Charlotte and joining us now, a player who just recently was on the taxi squad on the previous road trip, and that is Kevin Padlow. Kevin, thanks very much for a few minutes. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Tell me first what it meant to be on the taxi squad to you and what that experience was like. It was a cool experience just uh, being able to travel with the team and um, getting kind of acclimated to the big league kind of life. Obviously, it's my first time traveling with, with the team and uh, being in uh, a visiting big league stadium kind of thing during a game. It was definitely weird in the fact that there was no fans and no real media going on or anything like that. It seemed kind of strange, but it was still definitely a cool experience and uh, glad I was able to experience it for the first time and get that out of the way. Obviously, it's your first year on the 40-man too. So what has the whole 60-player pool experience been like for you? Yeah, it's definitely a strange thing. I mean, we, obviously everybody's had to adapt with everything that's going on and the 60 player thing is something new and the two different alternate, an alternate site and a big league team and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's strange, but at the same time, at the end of the day, it's just continue to get your work in and continue to just get better every day and continue to improve your, improve what you need to improve on. Tell me how um, you think you've grown uh, as a ball player on and off the field during this whole experience. I think the biggest part for me has been honestly mentally because obviously not only has it been COVID and all this kind of different protocols and all that kind of stuff, but I've had my 
ups and downs with injuries and not being on the field too much this year. So for me, mentally, it's been something I've had to get through and, and really work on to stay positive and stay with the right mentality to um, not only work hard and get back on the field, but when I do get back on the field, work that much harder because of the time I missed. And uh, that's something that I've had to go through. And I feel like mentally, it's been a good boost for me to finally get back on the field and get some work in. Let's uh, go back then to spring training, because that's kind of where it started. You had an issue that kept you off the field. Describe to our fans what was going on, what you found out. And then where were you when camp ended in terms of just your rehab and your work on the field? Yeah, so just basically I had like these strange headaches that weren't going away and they were causing me, they would just be major pain at certain points of the day, almost like what I can describe as a migraine, but they weren't, all the doctors I went to said it wasn't really what they classify as a typical migraine. So, cause they were coming on so often and so unrelenting. So I just kind of got on a few different headache medicines and through like kind of trial and error, started to finally feel a little better, which was good. And towards the end of spring training, when we actually, when we got shut down, I was pretty much back into playing shape and almost back onto the field. So that was good. It just happened that literally a day before I was about to take live BP for the first time in spring training, that's when we got shut down. So it kind of got, I kind of got shut down before I got started, but I was just glad to be healthy and back on the field. So at that point, what did you do? Did you go back home to California? How did you kind of handle the whole uh, pandemic period? Yeah. So I was roommates with Mike Grosso in uh, spring training, and we kind of didn't know what was going on, just like everybody else. So we kind of just stuck around in Port Charlotte for about a month after the shutdown. We're just kind of waiting on a word, like getting some, getting like minor workouts in, but nothing major. I mean, we couldn't go to the field. We couldn't do anything. So it was kind of like at home gym workouts, just like everybody else playing catch in the backyard, nothing major. And then after about a month, month and a half, we kind of both like sat down and talked. We're like, all right, well, nothing's progressing here. So we both decided to just uh, go back home. So I went back home and he, I think he decided to go up somewhere in North Carolina to work out. And uh, it was kind of just a whole, almost a holding pattern kind of type of situation where we didn't really know what to do and we weren't really getting much done. So we finally just decided to go back home. And what were the restrictions like back in California and what were you able to get done there? Not much. I mean, I was able to actually get on my high school field a bunch, which was good for me. Obviously, no gyms or anything were open, but my one of my best friend's dads owns a uh, like a private gym. So I was able to get in there, which was nice. So I kind of didn't have much restrictions as far as baseball-wise working out because I kind of had a couple ins in a couple places as far as like everything else was shut down, obviously. So no, no going out for food, no anything like that. So it was definitely a weird time. And then after that, you come you come into summer camp, but I know you had, what, a little bit of a back issue that kind of held you back? Yeah, I mean, nothing too major. I, I was fine in the beginning of summer camp, and then kind of just as we started up games, I don't know if I was just not in game shape or what, but just a, like a little tweak in my back that sidelined me for a couple of weeks. But thankfully, it's better now and uh, back on the field doing some stuff. Tell me what the competition level has been like, because you had finished at AAA last year, um, you had a terrific season with more than 50 extra base hits. Obviously, the Rays have a, a, a deep and talented system all the way around. So the pitching and the position players that are down here are top notch, obviously. And you're getting what seems like big league pitching, obviously, every day. 
you're competing against guys that have either been have big league experience or are right on the cusp that can compete with any other big league team out there I feel like so it's definitely a challenge and it's definitely people that know what they're doing and especially the pitching I mean we're a little beat up early on obviously in the big league so we weren't a lot of our a lot of the 60-man guys that were at the alternate side were getting brought up and down so we weren't getting much uh, pitching early on but everybody here is big league capable pitcher and it's it's definitely a challenge to go out there every day and tell me how you feel in terms of your game let's say obviously you had a really good season do you feel like you're right where you were the end of last year ahead how do you feel about the way you're swinging the bat and the way you're playing the field I, I feel good right now I'm finally healthy like I like we talked about I um Getting some more at-bats under my belt. Obviously, I missed two or three weeks of some crucial time in the beginning of camp. I probably have about 30 or 40 at-bats now, and I'm getting some timing back under my belt. Obviously, it's been a while since I've seen live pitching. I mean, I didn't play in spring training at all, and uh, I sat out for a couple couple weeks here. So I think the biggest issue is just timing, Um, and and timing always comes back to you with reps. So the more reps I can get in, the better the better I'll feel, and it's all it's all starting to come back. So it feels good. And is there uh, you mentioned all the talented arms, and we know how many there are. Is there one that you have? Uh, appreciate the challenge of facing or that's really tough for you to face just you know the look the 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 way they deliver I mean it seems like all of our guys just have something that they do out of the ordinary you know what I'm saying it's like they wouldn't be with the Rays unless the Rays like saw something special about them whether it's a certain type of pitch or a certain delivery or just command on the mound something like that I feel like our guys down here are getting big league experience pitching before being in the big leagues by just facing our own guys because everybody here has something elite about them where in the back of your mind you're like all right well you got to watch out for this or all right you got to watch out for that and it's definitely it's challenging but at the same time it's it's good for all the guys here to see that type of stuff and i'm guessing too just the experience you had uh, with the taxi squad for that trip has to help you for eventually when you get called up at least to have a comfort level with some of the guys and and knowing faces and names? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the biggest things with being on a trip is uh, just getting that level of comfortability, not only with the guys, but like with the setting, with the different way things are ran, because it's different. I mean, there's no other way to put it than it's a little different. That comfortability level is definitely something that I feel like it takes getting used to. To be able to go on that taxi squad was cool to get used to. Well, we appreciate some time. We hope uh, that the next time we're talking to you, it's about your big league debut. Um, yeah. Thanks for being with us on This Week in Race Baseball. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. That's Kevin Padlow coming up. Lenore Sutton on the work she's doing to help so many people in the race system. And John Morosi on the playoffs. This is This Week in Race Baseball on the Race Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball. And time now to head down to Fort Charlotte. And joining us is Lenore Sutton. She is the Florida Education Coordinator of International Operations for the Rays. And Lenore, we appreciate some time. Uh, you've been doing this for five years. But in six months, how much has your job changed? Well, first, I want to say thank you for inviting me to come and talk with you. I will say it has changed a lot. We've basically taken everything that we would do in person with our players at our player development center um, and had to restructure it and put it onto an online platform, which is probably a little bit more involved than you might think because there are um, several teachers within our system and we have teachers in Dominican Republic. And so everybody had to make that shift and do it very, very quickly. And everything is running smoothly and online now, but it's very different. How many athletes do you guys educate 
during the course of the year normally. And has that number changed at all because of the pandemic? That number has changed. Uh, we have, um, within our system, we have over 70 international players that at any time are sitting in a classroom within our organization. The majority of our classrooms are in the academy in the Dominican Republic. So those classes actually went on as planned. Everything for us kind of froze in spring training. So I continued on here on the U.S. side with 26 players in our classes. And we also have players that are rehabbing from injuries in class as well. So it wasn't just the spring training players, but it was the rehabbing players. Typically in a regular season, some of those players would move on to the affiliates here on the U.S. side where they would have teachers and classrooms there. Those teachers, because those seasons never happened, those teachers never had classes. And so the class sizes remained a little bit bigger in the Dominican Republic and in Port Charlotte as a result. How challenging is it to teach a language when you can't do it in person and be able to get that individual interaction one-on-one versus on a screen? There are a lot of challenges because the, the biggest challenges that we have, when the players come in into the classroom it's typically after a game so there's always you know that fun interaction that you can have if the game was really good and if it wasn't it provides players you know a place where they can come in and they can reflect on that and we can talk about it we talk through it and they do it together and it and it it can be fun in that way and it can also be it helps them to be a little bit more retrospective and you know it builds up that relationship when we're all there in that room in person when it goes to online, you're dealing with a whole other set of challenges because some players aren't necessarily able to join because you have Wi-Fi issues, you know, things that were affecting, we have a player in Puerto Rico. So, you know, the things that were knocking his Wi-Fi off were earthquakes and hurricanes coming. And so you have a lot more, it's a lot more challenging trying to get everybody together in that online classroom but when we are together it's the same it's the same dynamic they're happy to see each other they're happy to see their teammates and they're happy to be able to have these conversations in english because they look at english certainly as one of the things that they can be doing remotely that's really going to prepare them for the next level so i think they do enjoy jumping in and you know we we still have the conversations we still can talk through things we still there's still that laughter so the conversations might be different but they're still happening the development is still there it's still we're still moving forward are there some players who were in the minor league system that came here in march and were not able to go home not because they were in the 60 player pool but just because of you know the either restrictions due to the virus, et cetera. And how has that been? Because I would imagine, you know, culturally you're stuck in a, and you can't get home. That's gotta be really challenging. Well, when we first heard about it back in March, some players were given the option and we all thought, I mean, I think everybody was in the same situation. We thought this was going to be a few weeks and, you know, well, for a few weeks, you know, we can stay here and then everything will get back on track and everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. And as things started to change and borders started to close and, you know, policies were completely different from one day to the next. Protocols were changing and these players had to remain here. The majority of the players that remained were from Venezuela um, and Venezuela has since not opened its borders and things have still continued to be difficult there because they were already having an economic crisis. As things continued to get worse there, the players 
remained here and they've had to navigate the world apart from their family through a pandemic. And so we, they became our family. So for those of us who are, you know, based in Port Charlotte, we had to take the extra steps to support them um, because it is a challenging thing. When we get stressed, when, when people are stressed, they don't, it's hard for them to focus on what they need to do. And so, and it's stressful and it's hard to navigate but they're doing it and they've done a really, really great job of, of staying focused and, and making the best of their time while they're here. But the, yeah, the majority of them are from Venezuela and we have a handful from Dominican Republic and they range in age from 18 to probably about 23, 24. So big age ranges too, but they're doing great. They're, they're here and they're working out and doing staying on top of English. So give me an idea how you're helping them and how others, how your colleagues are helping them, because that's got to be awful difficult. I mean, culturally, language-wise, so many challenges in addition to the pandemic. We have such a dedicated team of professionals when it comes to the coaching staff and the coordinator staff. You know, they, they blow me away. I, you know, sometimes they, I've, I'm inspired by the things that they're doing, and I hope that that, that goes both ways. But they, create, they were creating videos with the players. Um, some of our international Staff members were setting up dinners for them, um, checking up on them. And that's something, you know, that uh, I've done as well. Like we go in and, you know, we check on them. Our nutrition team has made sure that they have meals regularly delivered and they do all of the shopping, um, help out with all of the shopping for their food, making sure that they have all of the ingredients that they need to make their traditional dishes that they like to cook. And it does go beyond, you know, they're all taking classes as well, but we're checking in with them regularly. All of us um, who are here, just kind of a mental health check, you know, hey, how you doing? Are you keeping in touch with your family? How are you feeling? And if we start to get the impression that maybe somebody needs additional support. We see to it that it's provided and the organization has been really great in making sure that we're paying close attention to how these guys are doing, not just on a physical level, but an emotional level as well. As a mom of, of young kids too, do you almost like your maternal instincts take over with helping some of these guys? A hundred percent because, you know, I, I mean, I have a son that's their age as well. I have a 20 year old son or 20, one-year-old son. He's the same age. And I think about the fact, you know, he's away at college, same thing in the pandemic. And I have been grateful for the fact that I've had friends who have kind of jumped into support. So I'm, I'm very conscious of that with the guys here. You know, I think about, okay, what would their parents, you know, want to know that, that they have? And they, they expect that from me too, I think. They expect that I am going to check up on them, that I want to know how they're doing. And that I genuinely care. And so, yes, that mom instinct kicks in and it has kicked in more than I expected to for more than just the reasons of the pandemic, because not only are they here in the middle of a pandemic, but then there was, you know, things that were happening societally mm -hmm. here that they did not fully understand. So we, I wasn't just teaching English now. I was teaching American history. I was teaching, I was explaining to them what systemic racism is and you know they're they're trying to process all of that um at an age where they're still finding out who they are <laughs> if you know and i i couldn't imagine so i think also you know the mom instinct kicks in there to let them know like you know we've got you we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get through this and we're gonna talk to you and we're gonna have these conversations i'm here for that it's a great challenge beyond that you've got the 60 player pool and how much 
work do you do with the Spanish speaking players during this stretch since they came in in uh, early July to this point of the year? We listen to broadcasts together and um, it's been neat working with those players because they want to know, okay, who are the, we want to know more about these players who we might see on the field. So we started reading about, you know, contemporary players that they might meet some of the Yankee players. Um, they liked hearing about Fernando Tatis Jr. That, that, you know, we had good conversations, but we're, we're using um, things that are relevant right now, today, what's happening right now. And we're using that to have these conversations in English. And so I think it plays into that, you know, on the field, you know, thing where they can kind of, okay, connect some of these things that we talked about um, off the field, and then they're going to be facing the players and maybe, you know, it connects, it has relevance, it, it means something. Uh, that's been what we're doing. But, you know, a couple of times a week, a, a few times a week, we've been connecting one of our players was with the major league team and was checking in, you know, we were checking in regularly and he was just filling me in on what that experience was like. I know you had an interview, so, um, you know, you've talked about that with him, but it gives them a place where they can express all the things that they're feeling and they want to talk about all the things that they're learning and we can have those conversations and it's okay if it doesn't come out clearly because we'll work through that. We work through all of that stuff until they feel comfortable with their words and, and their ability to express these things that, that are happening right now. Well, keep up the good work. We appreciate some time on this week in Rays Baseball. Continued success. Thank you, Neil. I appreciate it. Take care. And that is Lenora Sutton joining us from Port Charlotte, joining us now from Fox Sports and MLB Network and really everything baseball, John Paul Morosi. JP, thanks for being with us. Hey, Neil, thanks for having me. Great to be catching up. As we move down the, the home stretch here, you know, just over a week left to go in the regular season, I think that all the American League playoff spots, unless something unforeseen happens or determined, what to you is the biggest surprise uh, of what's happened in the AL? That's a great question. I, I think to me, Neil, a, a couple things. Maybe the Blue Jays arriving a little bit ahead of schedule. They were not a team that I really thought was going to be part of the mix so far this season. I think you've seen Teoscar Hernandez really emerge and Bo Bichette. The way they've stayed in the race, even though they've missed both Bichette and Teoscar at different times in the last month or six weeks, to me, has been very impressive. So I, I think seeing the Jays arrive ahead of schedule has, has been, I think, a fun story to watch in the AL East. The Red Sox, I think, really showing that they're they're a pretty good distance away from being a team we've seen them be in the past. And and I think that to me is is a really important storyline for the overall division where to, to see the Rays at the top is not a surprise at all. They, they of course, uh, took the Astros to a fifth game last year in the division series. Very easily could have won that series. And I think overall their depth and the number of different players, as you well know, Neil, to see the number of different pitchers they've had record saves, the number of different pitchers they've had start games and win games. Just Kevin Cash, the entire organization there, Eric Neander with, with what he's done. Just I'm really impressed every day with what the Rays put out there. And there's still a lot of jockeying for playoff position in terms of uh, seating and, and who's in what spot. Is facing the Astros the best situation if you're one of the top three seeds right now? Or if not, what are the better matchups for the, whether it's the Rays or the A's or uh, the White Sox? Uh, it's a great point, Neil, uh, about about how that's all playing out, that you know, Justin's pitched one game this year, and, and that was in the first weekend of the season. I, I do think that the Astros are probably – among the options, the team that you might want to play. Yes, there are still some some name brand players in that lineup, but 
really not many of them are having name brand seasons at the moment. It, it's, it just hasn't been the, the club that the, the Rays saw last year in, in the ALDS. And you think about the number of ways in which that club has changed. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Altuve has been hurt or, or mm-hmm. not productive. And then Verlander and Cole have not really been on the club. Uh, obviously, Justin, one start, and Garrett Cole, not at all. Basically, you've lost an MVP and two Cy Young winners when you really look at it that way. So I think that's a really devastating series of events, and it's fundamentally changed who the Astros are. And they're missing Roberto Osuna, obviously, due right. to injury, too. So the back end of their bullpen is a little bit in question, which, if you don't get a long start in a playoff game, certainly can change things. Of the two other teams, Cleveland or Toronto, Who's more dangerous in a best-of-three series, the Indians who have Shane Bieber or the Blue Jays because of their youth and obviously going into it with nothing to lose? I, I think it's Cleveland. And, and you look at that rotation and you hit on a nail. Bieber, to me, we've got a lot of great award debates right now in baseball. The AL Cy Young is not really one of them because I think it's Bieber's period. There's not really a, a whole lot of competition for it. He's been that good. And, and so he's the best pitcher right now going in the American League as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and the interesting thing is Zach Plesak is not that far behind. And if you look at some of the leaders in pitching wins above replacement and other categories, Zach, of course, missed a lot of time because of being in the minor leagues. But Plesak has been a, a, a top 10 pitcher in the league as well. So you've got to deal with two elite pitchers, I believe, in that short series and Carrasco still can shut you down. Savali, I, I've always been a big Savali fan. So there's there's a lot to like about Cleveland as a club. So I, I would say they're, they're the tougher matchup. The Blue Jays certainly can give you headaches and, and they can really hit. But I, I'm just not sure that, that at this moment that they're going to be top to bottom as formidable of a matchup as the Indians. The issue with the Indians, though, you know, offensive production has not really been there for them top to bottom, and that, that's been maybe the one surprise for them. They still have not been able to. I know they made the deal with Clevenger, but they, they didn't really address in a huge way their lack of production in the outfield, and we haven't really seen Naylor come in and make a huge impact right right away. So uh, I think overall, offensively, Neil, uh, I haven't seen maybe that huge impact from Cleveland, but I still think overall, because of their pitching, uh, they're a very formidable group to play against. And I still love the story of Oliver Perez, all those years in the major leagues, still getting it done. All this talk about, oh, it's going to be hard for situational lefties to have a future in the game now because of the new rules. Ollie's ERA, I think, is under two. Uh, most seasons ever pitched by a Mexican-born pitcher. So I, I always love that story and, and wanted to mention him too. Pretty cool story indeed. There's a lot of randomness in a best of three series. Does the best of five or best of seven with the new format help the team with more pitching Or does it help a team like the Yankees, which have a deep lineup? And we've seen this week against the Blue Jays, they feasted on mediocre pitching. You're going to have to face a fourth and fifth starter potentially in a series in a lot of these sets. That's a great point, Neil. And I I do think that what we're seeing is, from a standpoint of pitching depth, uh, without the off days. And I think that's that's really important, too. It's not just the duration of the series. It's now the fact that we don't see the, the number of off days that we usually do during a series that allow you to reset your, your club and, and reset your rotation. Of course, once we get into the bubble, the idea is going to be to play as many games as you can and, and really sort of get in and get out of the bubble in a way that hopefully allows everybody to be as healthy as possible and, and not linger there any longer than we have to be there. So I think because of that, because of that nature of the schedule, it's really going to help the teams that have pitching depth. And honestly, that's something that that certainly from where I sit, Neil, could help the Rays a lot. Uh, you think about the number of different players that and pitchers that Kevin Cash has gone to in big situations, whether it's as a starter or uh, a bulk innings guy or a closer. I, I just think that the Rays, how creatively Kevin manages the club, uh, everything he does, I, I can't say enough great things about the way they've built that roster, the depth. And, 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 not, and, and it's, it's important to not just have the depth, but then to know how to use your depth. 
and know how to get the guys who are all human beings and have emotions and ideas about how they want to be used, they all have to be able to buy in. And I just think Kevin Cash does a tremendous job of that. The Yankees obviously are on a great run right now. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, are they hurt by playing, having to play up to five days in a row or up to seven days in a row because they've had a lot of guys who've been banged up on a position player side and also on the pitching side, it limits how much they can use a Garrett Cole or a Masahiro Tanaka in the series. Yeah, it's a great point, Neil. I, I think overall, now their lineup is getting more in rhythm. They're, they're a scary team. We saw what happened Thursday night against uh, in, in a huge game at Yankee Stadium against the Blue Jays. And all the production there, they are just a tough, tough lineup to face. I think all those home runs in one inning, it was one after another and, and a, a great power display. I think right now that, that Yankee lineup is is in rhythm. Yes, there's always going to be concerns, I think, for the balance of the year and, and until further notice probably about the health of Stanton and Judge. But from what we've seen this past week of, of what that lineup looks like now that everybody's back into it, you know, and Sanchez getting going again is going to be really, really important. Of course, he's an you know, all-star level player that really hasn't hit this that much this year. So I, I think getting him going is going to be really important. But this this lineup now that, that we're seeing this group uh, together finally for Aaron Boone's club, I think is going to be a very, very tough team to contend with in the AL playoffs. So a tough question. Pick me a winner then in the American League. You know, back in spring training, back in summer camp, I was saying the Cleveland Indians, I'd love to be loyal to them and not and not abandon them here in this moment. I'm feeling the White Sox right now. I, I think that the White Sox with, with their club, you know, maybe some questions on the pitching front, but what a lineup, what an exciting team with just tremendous athleticism top to bottom. Basically got three MVP candidates. They've got a pitcher who's thrown a, thrown a no-hitter. Colum a, of course, uh, you know, I mean, he's done a pretty good job for them there in, in the bullpen. So I think for me, Neil, I'm going to go with the White Sox. Uh, I could very easily go with the Rays as well. I, I think it's going to be a very unpredictable October where we could see in either league high-level teams falling in the first round. I would say on the National League, one, one quick point, I'd be terrified to play the Rays, or to, to, to play the Marlins, rather, I think, with, with their with their athleticism and their their overall just youth and excitement that they've got going on right now. So I would say I'd be terrified to play the Marlins and also the Reds. That, that, that team, with, with their pitching, it's finally now coming to pass that we've all talked about for so long. So I, I think, hey, as great as the Dodgers are, as great as some of the top-end teams in the NL are, with both the Marlins and the Reds, if they both make it, uh, those are two teams that are going to be dangerous to face in that first round. Good stuff. We certainly appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. Neil, really enjoyed it. And I look forward to the day, my friend, when we can catch up again in person. That, that I, I, I will know that we're in a good spot uh, as a baseball world when that happens. So thanks for having, having me on the show. I want to thank John Morosi and all the guests on the program today, race pitcher Charlie Morton, Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun, Kevin Padlow down in the uh, alternate site, and Lenore Sutton, who's in Port Charlotte. If you have something you want to hear on the show, tweet me at Neil Solons. Next week, a, play, a playoff preview and a whole lot more. Special thanks today to my producer, Derek Dubose. I'm Neil Solons. It's the Rays and Orioles coming up. The pregame show's next on the Rays Baseball Network.